0: Welcome back to Don't At Me. I'm your host, Justin Simeon. In this episode, I talk to writer-director Rada Blank on making her big screen debut with the 40-year-old version.
1: I'm I'm so grateful when I look back at all the things that uh, were a struggle for me at the time. I'm so grateful for it because it gave me a story to tell. Like I realized. If I had success in theater, this movie would never exist. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm.
2: you know, thank
1: you, white gatekeepers, for, you know, (laughs) for keeping me out because, you know, I was a bitter playwright for a very long time until I figured out what to do with all of that bitterness.
0: It was a breakout hit at Sundance and just hit Netflix. And if you haven't checked it out, let me tell you something. You will after this. So stay tuned. I'm going to put my energy voice on (laughs) and welcome y'all back to, (laughs) wait, let me use English. Welcome back, Culture Machines. (laughs) That's your name. You didn't know. Uh, To another episode (laughs) of Don't (laughs) At Me, I'm your host, Justin Simeon. And today, I am so fucking excited to present my esteemed guest. She has written for acclaimed works of stage and screen. And her directorial debut, 40-year-old version, was a smash hit at Sundance. Y'all, I was there. It was the movie, OK? This is Aww. the movie everybody, everybody was talking about. It wasn't bad hair. It was 40-year-old version.
1: Yo, here's a little story about a girl who's Black. Let's add some asthma attacks from all the courtyard crack. Yo, no happy Blacks in the plot lines, please. But a crane shot a big mama crying on her knees. Yo,
0: it's Rodimus Prime, 40-year-old version. And I've gotten to to see it. By the time this comes out, um, you'll have the option to see it on Netflix. If you haven't done so already, get to it. It's incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. And I get to welcome its maker, Rodimus Prime, a.k.a. Rada Blank <laughs> to the show. Oh, What's up, Rada? Oh,
1: Justin, that was an amazing intro. For a second, I was like, "Who the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you, and well, and thank you for welcoming me. I'm, I'm, you know, I was kind of dying to get invited to your podcast. Oh, and so girl, this is a full circle moment. I'm excited I'm to so excited have you to be here. Yeah, you
0: were like it's such fun. a respite for me. Like running into you at Sundance was like oh, I needed that. Yeah. Like I, There was like some function. I don't even remember what it was, but I was supposed to be sponsoring it, but I technically wasn't. And I showed up looking Who Shot and Rada was there. And like, it was like-
1: Eating bacon in a eating corner. Eating bacon
0: in a corner. And it was like, uh-huh. we have both, you know, started going through the gauntlet of showing our movies and, and you know, um, going through the process of trying to sell them and stuff. And yeah. I just saw your eyes and I was like, she's going to keep it real with me. Because this shit is tough. It's tough. Woo. It feels very glamorous, but it's tough.
1: I think gauntlet is the right word for it because, you know, you, you are split between trying to connect the film with an audience, which is my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And then getting in your business brain with trying to sell the film, you know, um, which I'm not very good at, but you know, like it's, It's exhausting. It's exhausting. This is not a complaint. It's an observation. It's like, and I've been to Sundance numerous times before. It is such a different experience when you're there with your own project. You know, you have, you're working like every second of the day. So.
0: Yeah. And you're not really able to be yourself, even though that's what everyone is coming to the table to buy. They're coming to the table to buy this authentic vision that you have so, passionately and vulnerably and you know uh just stretched yourself to capacity to make but in order right. to be there and sell it you can't be yourself Like you can't be having real normal human reactions to things like you have to no. you have to be magnanimous and you have to be you know aloof sometimes you have to you have to play you have to play the, the role
1: right you're you're still perform you're still in performance mode and i mean i almost up a meeting or two because I you know it, it's it's taking me this long to make a film, but it's also taking me a minute to learn how to be in those rooms because, you know, I I've always just been myself. Mm. And um sometimes you just have to turn it down a little bit, especially if it's the money is walking in the room. You can't be like, hey bitch, you know, you <laughs> have to kind <laughs> of put on a smile. <laughs> um you know and I but I, you know, I I had a friend tell me years ago, you know, I was working in theater. Everyone knows how, you know, all the racial tension that's in theater, all of the people who are in power tend to be white. Mm. <laughs> and as black artists, you know, there's a lot of shit that frustrates you. And I had a, a friend tell me, put it in the work. You know, don't look to, you know, make a case with every person you you oh. come in contact with, put it in the work. And so I I do that, but so much of the work is about, you know, being honest about race. Yeah. And so, it, you know, I can't help but but see certain things and have certain observations. Like, I'm, I'm going to keep it real with you. You know, um, when a certain film sold for $17 million, I was like, well, I, you know, and I'm over here. One my here film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't mine either, you know. And I'm just like, well, what do we got to do to get 17 million dollar sales? Be white. You know, like, I, I mean, mean, you
0: know that. Be white. Be white. Be white or, or be
1: slavery
2: or
0: be very fucking tragic, which you comment on brilliant in your, brilliantly in your film, by the way. Oh, thank
2: you. Um, but thank you. But
0: you know, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> my therapist, of course, put it to me this way. I'm always talking about whoever <laughs> my therapist is at the moment, but like, um. <laughs> he was like, you're trying to change a system from within the system. It will be wrought with complications. And that weird feeling of like, am I betraying myself? Because in order to operate within the system, we have to wear a mask, we have to wear the masks that are available to us. But in order to change the system, we have to you know buck up against
1: that confront it confront it
0: and so we're learning to do both and not feel like fake people and it's very difficult and it shouldn't be easy (laughs) you know why would it be it shouldn't
1: be easy it shouldn't be easy i mean it should
0: be easy but like who can expect it to be easy given the fact that this is america and neither of us is the thing that is considered american
1: first right and and it and it it if it wasn't a confrontation, you know what I mean. It, mm. It's a confrontation. It's a confrontation of people who are who have been in a particular place, who've been comfortable with that power, with that position, and um, you know, it's 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 never going to be comfortable to confront that. But it's like we just can't we can't take a break. It's like sometimes Ugh. you just want to rest your haunches and sit down. Right. You know what I mean? And um, I remember being at the. Um, Palm Springs uh, Variety Luncheon. And this is not a lie. I just received a wonderful award where myself and nine other directors were, you know, uh, identified as 10 directors to watch.
0: Yes, Miss Palm Springs. Thank you,
1: honey. Thank you, honey. Oh, Palm Springs is amazing. I know. I, I need to go there and spend some real time, not just the weekend. But I'm literally walking off the stage with the award at my bust, at my bosom, like my baby, like I'm nursing it. And this white producer walks up to me and says, "Um, congratulations. I think it's amazing that you're being acknowledged like this. I have this idea about the first Black woman to run away, you know, to escape slavery, to become a lawyer up North. And I'm looking down at the award and I'm like, really? Like, dude like i, was I just pitched, won this shit you know what i mean
0: i think it was i think i was in sundance but two hours the first time i went with dear white people i was in mm. sundance for maybe two hours maximum before i was sitting in front of somebody white pitching me a slave movie i mean it's just
1: what is it what is it I, with the slave narrative is it you know maybe it's like double double duty it's like you know, I am invested I'm showing by by using by choosing this kind of film. I'm showing how anti-racist I am mm-hmm. you know, and I'm getting behind black voices. but I'm like mm-hmm. I can't like how many more slave stories can we tell seriously I think like how many more
0: I think the tr- I think the truth is weirdly in the middle because it's like you know, um, I think part of it is that white people, Always approach us, whether it's for ill or harm or for good or whatever, you know, their intentions aside, they always approach us the way they contextualize us. So if the Mm -hmm. way that you contextualize Mm -hmm. Black people is in a context of slavery, well, then that's the kind of story about Black people that you see through
1: that filter and that prism. Yeah. Now the fucked yeah. up
0: thing is, is that I don't think it's possible to really be free as a Black American without confronting personally in one's life uh, slavery and the way slavery continues to affect them. Like that's an important part of it. But as a
1: absolutely, but as a
0: Black person, I just know that like I need many narratives to be whole.
1: Exactly. No, we're always focusing on the same, you know, uh, twenty year span in, in you know in slavery. We're not talking about Revolts. I don't see many films about revolts.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: we don't talk about Reconstruction. Usually, we don't talk about Reconstruction, which I'm kind of obsessed with because you know Reconstruction is what begat the KKK. Yep. Initially, they were just you know trying to unionize and they were cloaking themselves to hide from the the bosses. Ooh, um, and I then when Reconstruction,
0: a was- was- a while, where you been all my life? I love it. Oh Tell the no, people. I'm
1: obsessed. I'm obsessed with Reconstruction because it is the turning point. It's like the minute. We were free. That's when, like, that's yes. when the, I guess the gated community was born. That's when <laughs> all hell I mean? broke
0: loose, man.
1: Exactly, exactly. All of those fears and fantasies about like what we would do to them, and and I think a lot of white folks still walk around with that. You know, um, someone told me that um, someone white told me that when. Um, white people cross the street when black people approaching. It's not just that they think, oh, they're going to get mugged. They think it's retribution time <laughs> mm. <laughs>
2: that,
1: that we are walking around thinking about slavery twenty four seven, and that one day we're just going to pop off. You know what I'm saying? It's because
0: like, they're projecting their guilt onto us.
1: Yes, yes, they're, I think so. They're unexpressed,
0: Absolutely. unfelt guilt. I mean, psychologically speaking, that's what people do, and that's what Ooh. they're doing to us. You know, on the whole. Um,
2: mm. Now, I'm
0: going to take this moment of wokeness. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to pause it. I'm going to pause it for a second because we we, okay. ha, we have a piece of uh Don't Abbey that's becoming one of my favorite parts, which is where... Various people from the Culture Machine community um, ask for advice, you know, to me, like, mm-hmm. what's the point of doing this shit if it's not about giving more people like me access to systems that normally they didn't get? So that's a right. big part of what we do at Culture Machine. If you want to ask a question to me and my guests, uh, find us at Culture Community on Facebook. You can also um, hit us up uh, at the Culture Machine Co. Instagram page. Um, just be up in there, y'all, and we'll find you. Mm. Um, all right. So, Brendan, what you got? All right. I have a question from uh, one of our top culture machines, Delisa McGregor, who's always asking great questions. Delisa says, "Uh, I produced and directed a short film. My issue was conveying what I want the actors and actresses without overthinking. How do you balance knowing Mm -hmm. what you think is best versus giving talent their freedom of expression to bring your project to life?
1: That is a great That's question. That's a great
0: question. Yeah, what do you think? That
1: is a really, well, you know, um, I have to say, I wasn't trained uh, in filmmaking and directing film. My training came from working in um, after school programs with, mm. you know, a certain dynamic of people who were considered uh, quote unquote unprofessional, you know, non professional actors, and sometimes immigrant communities of people who were formerly incarcerated. And so my job at that time was to pull performance and story out of people who didn't normally do that. And so I would take a lot, I would ask a lot of questions of them and encourage them to ask a lot of questions of me around the text so that they could take ownership of it. I mean, just in terms of my film, you know, um, Oswin Benjamin who plays D in the film um, he's kind of like, Not very verbal. He speaks with, you know, his music and his gestures and stuff like that. And, you know, Aswan has never acted before, you know, and I'm still kind of blown away by his performance, Mm but he's never acted before. Wow, that's amazing. You know, and but the beauty in that is that I'm not a professional actor either. And so we both were kind of like raw when we would come to a scene. And there was all of this backstory, you know, uh, uh, there's all of this mystery, I should say, about the character. And I don't feel it was my job to fill in those blanks, Mm. you know, because I want him to own every decision that he makes, you know, from the world he's creating around the character. So to me, my job as a, a person who writes and directs is to like give them the script and, um, you know, the ending is the GPS, but but to know that they're going to get there and to trust I'm hiring a person who can, you know, their interpretation is going to elevate the character in a way that I just can't and maybe can't even articulate. Mm. So it, it, it to me, it's about relenting and mm. looking at my actors as my co-authors, you know, like there's not a lot of improvisation, you know, but there are moments that come, raw from the actor and all i do is if that is what i need like how do we harness that how do we revisit that if we're doing several tanks um if it's if it's a little off i just ask them questions about what do you think the intention is so it's this ongoing conversation for me i like a lot of rehearsals before we get on set Mm. so that when we're on set it's theirs there's no there's no it's already baked in there's no there might be a couple of adjustments here and there Um, But yeah, for me, it's about seeing the actors as co-authors and giving them ownership of the role.
0: I think that's so well put. Um, And the only thing I can even think to add to that is like, in my experience, you know, you just be prepared for both situations because sometimes you walk
2: Mm. onto
0: a set and you have an actor that you're trying to sort of give that freedom to, but they don't want it and they actually are freaking Mm. out that they're not being given specific direction and right. uh you know or what they think of as specific direction and so i you know one thing one thing that is just absolutely false that we are all either taught in film school or we we glean from society or whatever is that there's a right way to do is there's a right way to direct actors um right if you right. if you if you're in a theater world and you're in an actor-centric world you're gonna be told you're gonna be heavily influenced into one style of directing and that's the one That's the one I have, which I think is similar to yours, Rada. where I think of it as a mm-hmm. collaboration between me and the performer, yes. and we're both trying mm-hmm. to find it and all that kind of stuff. But if you really, like, open it up to, like, all of the directors, right, when you find out, mm-hmm. when you watch a documentary and you find out how Steven Spielberg directs versus how Stanley Kubrick directs versus how Brian De Palma directs versus how Spike right. Lee directs, none of them direct the same way.
1: No. And
0: all of them no. achieve you know, results that clearly uh, have worked. And so it's really about building your personal toolkit um, Mm. through trial and error and through experience and through training. And frankly, you know, I learned storytelling through theater. You learned it through, you know, working in the community. Both of those Mm -hmm. things are extremely fucking valid ways to learn how to do this craft just because you didn't go to film school, you didn't read this book or that book. You know, this idea that you were somehow unprepared Uh, is bullshit you lived life you're prepared
1: well you know it's so funny I feel like I don't know that I didn't go to film school right I don't even know though how prepared I'd be to working on a set like you you learn when you're on the set you learn as you go I mean because for me like what I think made me into a director is the adversity you know when when fucked up shit would happen <laughs> like how i responded in the moment i feel is what made me into a director like mm. being able to to be level headed enough to think through a solution when a location falls out oh, or an actor is not giving you you know what i'm saying like is not giving you what you want you you may not make your day because you know the set is not ready like really thinking thinking like as the um, the governess of this child that is the film. And how do I, okay, this thing happened, how do I protect and ensure that the child is getting the food and the nourishment that they need in this moment? Mm. That, to me, is is where I learned how to direct. You know, because I've had, I was with the script for a number of years, and I, you know, went to the labs, and I did this stuff, but really nothing compares to being on the set and <laughs> learning in that moment
0: you know what i mean absolutely because like you can plan the most intricate shot and Mm. it could be fucking brilliant and you execute it and it in no way shape or form works in the scene or you could show you could show up and the location falls through or one of the actors has COVID, or insert literally any (laughs) crazy fucking thing you can imagine
1: anything and weather. weather weather weather
0: Temper tantrums, personality disorders, your personality disorders. I remember one time I was on Vibrid, right, which is for depression. And Vibrid is one of those, um, those, uh, uh, you know, depression medications where if you miss it, like – your whole body like oh, starts to shit. buckle you know like you're not in reality Ooh. and there are a number of times when i realize that like i'm on set and it's like 10 30 and we just started shooting and i have not taken my vibrant and the closest one is like at my house which is actually like 40 minutes mm. away like you know what do you do then motherfucker you know it's like
1: right. That's, right that's when
0: you realize what kind of director you are and what your style is it actually isn't what you plan it's what you do when, right. when things fucking happen
1: when shit goes bad yeah It rang a little inauthentic.
0: I asked myself, did a black person really write this?
1: This is some fucking bullshit, bullshit. Think about me doing hip hop. Doing what to it? I wanna make a mixtape about the 40 year old woman's point of view. Why my skin so dry? Why am I yawning right now? Why them AARP niggas sending shit to my house? This is 40.
0: Let me tell you, was there any fear that you had uh, moving into not only your feature directorial debut, but directing yourself in the center of that thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my concern was I'm just a person, and I'm, we probably come from the same tribe, where it's like a million things are racing through my head at the same time at any given moment. And my fear was that I wouldn't be present mm. for my scene partner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's funny, because Clark johnson was one of my advisors at sundance and he's a person who is in a lot of the stuff that he directs and you know for tv and mm. stuff and he was like just just try to be a generous scene partner and that's what i kept thinking of is like you know for this moment director i'm sorry i need the actor to kind of step in and take and take over the scene and you know i'm playing myself i'm playing a version of myself so like you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's not like i'm playing uh, a, a, a widow in Flint, Michigan with three children, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm playing in my own world. So that was a safety net for me, but I I was, I was scared. I I was nervous about that. And I was nervous about people, you know, not taking the film seriously, and maybe thinking that I need, I wanted the film to be a vehicle for me as an actor, when really I'm not an actor and I don't plan on acting um i just you know it's an excuse to celebrate the legacy of my my parents as black artists and i'm kind of obsessed with mockumentaries you know where Mm. uh people are doing send-ups of themselves you know so um but i was nervous that you know when i get out of the scene is this person going to hear me in the same way that they did before we started shooting You know, are they, are they going to diminish me? And I say that because I've seen the way people treat actors,
2: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: they don't, they don't see them as co-authors. They are filmmakers too. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And um, they're filmmakers too. And I feel like, you know, the, the, my toughest job for me, the toughest job is finding the right actor Mm -hmm. because when you find the right actor, then half of the work is done. Then you have to just put all the pieces together. Um, But yeah, I was, I was intimidated by that. And then it took maybe a day or two of being on set. <laughs> and then finally, like, there was a day where I was in almost none of the scenes. And that was just, it was just a relief, you know, and I got to kind of step into this role and be a 100% present for the actors. Mm. Um, and then go back to my 75% <laughs> when, I, when I was back in the scenes but you know I I don't think I made a perfect film I think I made a film that is perfectly me and and honest and and authentic to the kind of stories I want to tell um but yeah I I was very and then there was this one particular day and this this was like I guess my rites of passage we were so close to the end of the shoot one of the final days and I was breaking down I really was Mm -hmm. because you know we're talking about 10 to 12 hour days um I'm I'm a, I'm a producer on the film. I'm an actor. I'm also directing. And um, we were getting to this particular shot. There was a a discrepancy around, you know, a permit. So we had to switch things around. I mean, like, you know, shit happens. Right. And I was on the edge. Like Mm. I could feel um, a breakdown coming, a mental break. Mm. And I remember being on the actor side of the camera and looking on the other side of the camera at a row of people staring at me. Mm. and i i feel like while my performance as an actor was sufficient mine as a director was not Mm. and it was it was it was it was a failure i have not felt since remember when you were like 12 13 years old and your your budding hormones are 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 out and you know something completely embarrassing happens in front of your peer group, like (laughs) falling or the tissue, the tissue that you stuffed in your bra. So Tuesday, you know, some shit like that. So
0: Tuesday for me. (laughs) Got it.
1: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was one of those failures that you feel Mm. from the top of your head to the bottom of your foot. And, and, um, Ashton Pina was working as my assistant at the time. He's an amazing human being. And, we were in Brownsville when we, when we ended the, the, the shoot and I got back into my city, so to speak, we took a cab from Brownsville, Brooklyn to Harlem. I cried the entire ride mm. and I felt, I have not felt that failure, that kind of failure for 20 something years. How did and you, so, how did
0: you, what part of it did you feel was like a failure? If I may ask
1: my, my, my reaction to the bad stuff, mm. like, I, I just remember going off you know probably on my my ad sorry Michael but you know like you know I I realized that this business the business of um, directing is often about pushing for the things that you need to make the film happen mm-hmm. and I am that person I won't stop I'm relentless like you know um, it's the it's the vision that is that many people may have said no to that got you there. So I'm not someone who's going to all of a sudden say, well, you know, even though it was risky to shoot in black and white and to be in my own film, I'm just going to relent and just let go. And so I'm the type of person I'm like, nah, nah, nah. We said we going to do this. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so it wasn't an hour of perfection for me. And people were watching and, you know, it's nothing against people who. Aren't in the director's seat, but I always feel like everybody feels like they could do a better job than you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they're watching you. They're watching you with that look. Like, mm-hmm. see, shit. Well, who, look, who, I, who told her? I want to yeah. offer
0: some unsolicited advice and perspective on this. Okay. First okay. of all, it is it's to me the f- most fucked up thing about America and institutions, all this shit, is that like black people in particular, and you just you can add things to that, like woman or gay or whatever, you can add things to black. Mm-hmm. Um and the more things you add, the worse this part is. But like we are sort of taught to be embarrassed of our natural selves. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're taught to be embarrassed mm-hmm. of our natural hair. We're taught to be embarrassed of our natural skin color. We're taught to be embarrassed of our natural emotional reactions to things. Mm-hmm. You know, like how mm-hmm. many times have you self-reprimanded yourself because, say, a cop pulled you over and you just gave them a little bit too much attitude. And so you beat yourself up right. for that. But the truth mm-hmm. is, is that you you responded in a normal like human way. And the fucked up part of it is is that our white brothers and sisters they don't receive that message at the same
2: oh, volume. Not at all. So, you know, not at all. I think
0: all women receive a similar message, but if you're not black it's not at the same volume. And if you're a white man, that behavior is actually seen as heroic, it is championed, it is often it's
1: passion. It's passion.
0: <laughs> it, it is talked right. about in a QA a with you know reverence and respect and man he did what needed to be done my favorite story my favorite story about stanley kubrick was that he was still early in his career he wasn't stanley kubrick yet and um i think this is the film killer's kiss i think or the killing this is the killing and um Some world renowned cinematographer is on the movie. Like, in fact, the cinematographer is more famous than Stanley Kubrick is at this point in his career. And Stanley Kubrick, who is a photographer, you know, sets up this very intricate shot. He says, I want the dolly here. I want this lens. I want this camera angle. I want us to move here, 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 and here. He couldn't have been more clear. He leaves and he comes Mm. back, and the entire shot is like, you know, several feet away from the actors. And he's like, what? Mm. And he he confronts this very big shot, braggadocious cinematographer. And he says, what are you doing? This isn't at all Mm. how I asked you to set it up. And talking down to Stanley, because at this time, most directors aren't as photographically sophisticated. And so this, this cinematographer talks down to Stanley Kubrick and he says, um, well actually I'm giving you the exact same coverage that you need this is just easier for me to be far away and zoom in to the, to get the same coverage but of course mm-hmm. we know that there's a big difference between a wide lens really close to something and a mm-hmm. long lens really far from something yes technically right. it's both. they're both close ups but they feel completely different and you right. know this cinematographer was banking on the fact on the idea that Stanley Kubrick wouldn't realize that and so what Stanley right kubrick says to this world-renowned cinematographer at all of 32 or something you know directing this movie that no one had any expectations for no one knew this was the guy that was going to give us 2001 space odyssey he says Mm. put the camera back where i told you to put it with the lens i told you to put on it or get off my set and never fucking come back Mm. and i made it a goal to be able to say that when it's necessary (laughs) not not when it's not necessary okay not popping off just to pop off but like the courage to say something like that to someone that powerful when I know in my heart and soul that they are wrong um Mm. is a marker of achievement for me (laughs) and I'm still working on it (laughs) but like I just want to I just want to say that because like it's You know, maybe in the final analysis, you'd be like, oh, I wish I had handled that better or whatever. And that's fine. That's like your own shit. But to feel this like head to toe embarrassment because you expressed emotion in a system that is designed for white men to constantly be doing that. You know, I I don't think that's the weight you should you should carry. I don't
1: No, It wasn't. I don't think the failure was that um, so much that I embarrassed myself. I feel like I sold myself short, Mm. you know, and I felt like I um went to a place of emotion instead of, you know, I pride myself on problem solving. I think it was why I got hired to work in the writing rooms that I I did. And I, I, I think I could have talked to my AD a little nicer. I really do. You know, this is another person of color who ain't do shit to me. Um, but, but the important thing to me about the story um, is that I came back the next day mm. because, you know, like I had such a visceral response to that, um, you know, it wasn't even about the people around me. It was more about feeling like I'd let myself down. Sure. And, but I went back the next day. That's what I was like, okay, I'm a director because, in spite of how I felt in that moment and feeling like I lost it or um, I fucked up, so what that got to do with finishing your film, Rada? Yeah. You gotta take your ass back, and that's when I knew. Like I was like, oh, this is I was born to do this shit because. I can have a moment like that and return and not, I'm not going around and apologizing. and it, No, yeah. it was a, it Good. was an experience where I went inside and I said, you know, the question I asked myself wasn't about, oh, they're going to think it wasn't that it was like, do you have what it takes to do this?
2: Mm. Cause like,
1: you know, you, you have to preserve your energy and stay focused on what it is you're here to do, Yeah. you know. Yeah. And so for that moment, I was not focused, and I had a, a breakdown that ended up prolonging shit and all sorts of stuff. I lost sight of what I was there to do, and by the time I got there the next the next day, it was like, "Boom, you survived that shit," you know. And 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 you, but you're right. I do feel that. There, there are a different set of rules when it comes to us and making stuff and making mistakes or having demands. And, and that's, that's what I, I found, I find I'm coming up against is like, people just aren't used to taking directions from a black woman no. and, and you can feel it. No. And these are the most well-intentioned, Absolutely. experienced, sweetest people. But when it comes to that, where I say to someone, this is what I want there is, you can see them physically, have to grapple with that. Like this is a person, maybe subconsciously, they don't have to regard. And now I'm the fucking boss and I'm saying this is what I want. One thing I found people would say to me at times, and these this was even people of color, queer folks, whatever, um, I would say I want something or I wasn't satisfied and they would regard me as if they're doing me a favor. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know,
1: mm-hmm. I'm just here. I'm just here trying to help you make your film. No, motherfucker. I hired you. Yes. <laughs> you get getting money. You're getting credit. And my job is to direct you. Exactly. And so, you know, like, it, it's not about power tripping. It's about somebody has to lead. And that is my role. Yeah. And so if if, if I'm leading and I say I need X, Y, Z, you know, please don't then grapple with whether or not I deserve X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'm saying I can see people have that moment in their head where they go, what is, God? she wants so much. She's so demanding. And like you said, in the hands of Kubrick, it's masterful.
2: Mm-hmm. In the
1: hands of a Black woman or someone who's queer or a marginalized person that, you know, cast and crew are not used to um, being led by, it's like, well, shit. There's suspicion. Now, how did you yeah what did you do you know i i've heard that too like do you really know what What did you do do
0: do you really understand what you're asking for that kind of thing Right. that that tone right yeah
1: right right
0: yeah as if you couldn't possibly have you know come up with an intelligent reason why you're pushing for this or
1: that you know right Um, and i think i think at the end of the day it really is just like more and more of us we just we just have to continue to keep working. You know, um, I don't think it's our job to teach people to not be assholes and to not be limited in their thinking, but they're just not used to being around us and not and us not being in power. Yeah. You know, that that is still their issue. That's not my job to fix. But I realize it's because this person has never worked with a Black woman director before. Mm-hmm. And they're, they have their own internalized racism. I remember one time going to the set and there were a bunch of um, union guys there, and um, anybody who's trying to get into any of these unions, if you're a person of color, you know how hard it is to get in. And it was like these three, these three white guys in their 40s and 50s, and you could tell they'd worked on a million films. And um, you know, we're all on the chow line, and um, I was kind of talking to someone. And I forgot it. I need to move up in the child line, and they all were like, "Come on, little lady, <laughs> you know you're slowing us down." They had no idea I was the director of the film. Oh and yeah. And when I tell you, oh yeah, when I fucking tell you, I did this shit for Harriet Tubman. When the set, when the AD was ready, I took my time going over to my chair, and I looked, I looked them right in the face, Ooh. and they all turned cranberry red. They had no idea. Yeah. You know, like these are guys who just like. This is my job. I'm not going online to Google the director. I'm here to earn my keep, you know, get my pension, get my whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they pretty much were like, hey, little lady, like, come on now. Like, yeah, come on, girl. Like, don't waste our time. And when I sat in that chair, they were like, they turned red and then they turned white. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Because they just, is just not, they're not used to. So I don't know who, who that's on, you know, but we just have to continue to keep pushing at it and not internalize people's reaction
0: yeah. to us. Yes. And I, know? I think, you know, I think that's what I w- you know, I hoped you take taken away, but of course you did, because you're you're the wise one. Um, and I love that you're in, out here in the world yelling at people and making movies. I think that makes the world a better <laughs> place. That's me personally, um, because the thing is, at the end of the day, you think about whether or not you went too far. And and to me, the the bad toxic situations come from when people are abusive and they never stop to think yes. about it. You know, right? But at the end of the day, right. what we do is fucking hard. And if you can do that without having an oh emotional explosion, I don't know who the fuck you're a psychopath possibly because like right, this shit is hard <laughs> like if you don't scream at somebody at some point like something might be wrong
1: <laughs> <laughs> right or the work is like mm. yeah some, some, <laughs> you know you're I not mean? fully
0: in it in some kind of, i don't know what that is um okay let's take a really quick break uh we'll be right back with more rodimus prime All right, we're back. And uh, this is a, a cool segment, uh, in my opinion, I think. It's called mm-hmm. Add Someone. Um, yeah. Radha, who's, uh, you know, a creative or somebody out there that's doing something that you want to shine some light on?
1: I would love to shine light on Miss Dacia Broadway. Mm. She's an editor who, you know, I worked... Um, tirelessly with Rob Wilson on the first cut of the film. And he did some amazing things. Um, But after we got acquired, you know, we all agreed it'd be good to have a a fresh eye on the project. And um, she, she's been working for a couple of years on TV. I believe that my film is the first film that she came in to kind of cut on, but she's just, she's an amazing person. And I feel like, you know, something about working with a black woman editor. I can't explain it. It just, it's a delight, especially in a pandemic Mm. um, where black people are getting (laughs) killed by cops every day and you have to finish your film. And sometimes we would just, we we, we were working remotely and I would just be like, girl. And she'd go, girl. And you know, it's just this, You know what I mean? Yes, I do. We're either going to take a pause or we're going to come back together at some point, but we need a break because being Black in this day in life is just fucking hard. And so I appreciate her for getting that, but also she's just and an awesome young artist, you know? Um, so I'm shouting out, um, Daisha Broadway.
0: I love that. And, and yeah, that is mm-hmm. the nice thing about when you get to work with black people is they understand, you know, some things are traumatic for black people that I think maybe slip yes. under other people's radars. Um, and that also is exhausting to explain. Um, now one thing you mm-hmm. said before is putting yourself in the story was about, honoring, um, you know, the legacy of your parents. You've talked about being raised by a cinephile and sort of having this um, artistic understanding of your place in the world at a very young age. And I just wondered if you would talk about that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, creating art was play in our household. Um, I grew up in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, if you can believe it, um, in a brownstone. <laughs> wow! But in an and, you know, yes, yeah. and that's why I don't go there anymore, because it's very depressing. <laughs> it's but very different. I grew up, oh, child, I don't, you, you want to talk about a rage. If I just get off the train and walk down the block, it's out of rage. Just <laughs> mad. But mad. I get it. Um, but I was raised on the south side of Williamsburg by um, a bunch of black, brown, Italian, and Jewish artists. Yes. Who... Created this intentional artist community on the South side of Williamsburg. And so it was nothing to like walk into a room and, and, you know, my dad who's a jazz musician is jamming with all my uncle and father figures and go into the kitchen. And my mom is waxing poetic with her activist sisters, you know, like to, to perform, you know, it was, it was part of our play, you know? And Mm. so, um, I think I took it for granted and, um, you know, like I I was embarrassed by my parents when I was a kid because, you know, like I know what powdered milk tastes like and mm. gum and cheese, you mm-hmm, know, and mm-hmm. I know what I know the feel of food stamps. You know, people use the EBT card. We had stamps back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I remember the texture of food stamps and, and grappling with, you know, the embarrassment of having to use them at the corner store. So, you know, as a child, especially going into my preteens, I was embarrassed to be the child of artists Mm. um, not realizing that the whole time they were laying the foundation for what is you know my career and my my storytelling you know and so it was it was a really rich we had nothing like we had nothing like we really struggled as a family but all of my childhood friends are my now my best friends as adults and um you know I just I think with the film, like I wanted to kind of pay homage to that community of artists um, who really, you know, they didn't have social media, you know, so they didn't have this instant access to an audience. They had to, you know, be a gallery, gig at a a shop, you know, um, pound the pavement, you know, um, sell their work and their wares and stuff like that. I mean, it was a different, it was a different kind of struggle as an artist. It's not to say that, you know artists don't struggle now to pay the bills but because of social media you can create an audience instantly you know so it was a it was a very very interesting childhood i mean we squatted you know like Uh, you know, my father found very interesting ways to get electricity from the streetlight. You know what I mean? Like, um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it was like, it was, it was a creative way of survival, you know, but I, at this particular point, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like it really did, um, lay the groundwork, um, around, around my voice. I was always encouraged to tell story, to be characters, to be put on shows, you know? And so, I think when I became a teaching artist, which is what my mother did for 30 years, you know, initially I was like, oh God, I can't believe I'm doing this. But, you know, it's it's where I've met the most amazing young people. And it's 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 where the characters of the young people in my movie come from. You know, they're they're an amalgam of all the students I've met over the years. And Elaine, especially, <laughs> um, portrayed by Imani, who is just a, an absolute uh wonder um she represents uh, she's so amazing and just the sweetest sweetest girl um but she represents all those young black girls i would meet over the years who you know at the beginning of the class was resistant, like what are we doing what is Mm -hmm. this shit i don't know okay right (laughs) i'm too cool for school (laughs) and i definitely ain't trying to do no after school bullshit but then by the time that final week rolls around they're like for real you leaving?" the program is over,
2: Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So
1: that's where that Elaine character comes from is all of those young black girls who come in very defensive, you know, because this is what the world has done to them. You know what I mean? Um, and yet, you know, I remember I had shown a cut uh, to a group of editors <laughs> who I would call Ginsu knives, you know, like sure. I showed a cut to a group of editors and one of them was like, Oh, well that scene with Elaine, do you really need it the camera to linger on her for as long as it does? Do you do you even need that scene altogether. And I said, yes, because if I don't have that scene, then she is a stereotype. Mm-hmm. You know, she is just the angry black girl and you don't see her in contemplation. You don't realize, you know, that, um, she is at odds with the way she's treating people you know mm-hmm. what i mean like i'm i'm kind of obsessed with um black people and either like moments of quiet or mundanity you know mm-hmm. what i mean and so here's this person who in the first 10 minutes is super fiery she's got like you know fists of thunder coming at you and yet there's this moment in the hallway um which is you know i completely stole that scene from purple rain by the way i don't know if people recognize it but <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know when 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 prince had a moment in the yeah walking through the hallway and they're like let's get crazy <laughs> let's get wild and then they peek in and they say how's the family uh, that whole scene uh, is purple rain oh my god i and love so,
2: that i love that
1: rada is the kid and Elaine <laughs> is, is. is is morris day you know so it's this this um Kind of competition for territory and people's hearts and attention um but yeah you know like I'm I'm so grateful when I look back at all the things that uh were a struggle for me at the time I'm so grateful for it because it gave me a story to tell like I realized If I had success in theater, this movie would never exist. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm.
2: you know, Ah. thank
1: you white gatekeepers for, you know, (laughs) for keeping me out because, you know, I was a bitter playwright for a very long time until I figured out what to do with all of that bitterness. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm not the most articulate person around politics and activism, but m- the film is my version of it. It's like just being honest about, you know, who is in control of, of black storytelling, you know, um, where theater is concerned, you know, um, there was this amazing letter that black theater artists got to write um, in this time of reckoning after George Floyd, George Floyd's murder, um, where it was like, you know, open space. We could, you know, call people out without, you um, you know, yeah, yeah, uh,
0: the dear white theater open letter, right? Or yeah, yeah. okay,
1: right. It was like white, dear W A T, white American theater. Right. And um, I missed the deadline because I, I was editing the movie. I missed the deadline, and I was like, "Oh shit!" I so badly wanted to sign that, and then I realized, "Oh, but I think the film it is is it, in its own way is is my signature mm-hmm. on that thought, you oh, know, about." God the gatekeepers, you know what I mean? Um, but but through a lens of comedy, you know, because I realized, like, you, you know, I don't want to hit people over the head too many times. Like, my m- comedy is my way of kind of disarming people so that something can maybe seep in um, after they laugh. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, how do you
0: navigate the mindfuck of being an outsider because of the gatekeepers in the theater world? as a playwright and now frankly you're an insider because you talked about that, but over here in Hollywood, how do you, what do you, how do you put that together? Cause that's something I definitely had to walk through with dear white people.
1: I, I can imagine. First of all, I just have to say, um, you know, that movie, it was just so charged. It was so what we needed. You know what I mean? I feel like we haven't, we hadn't made a response you know around race in that way in that time so thank you for that and that, i mean you had me from that little teaser that you that was online <laughs> at the time that teaser was so fucking brilliant i was just like who is this person and then when when we got to get the film i was just like wow you know like i felt an instant kinship to you because I feel like it really. Don't you feel though it 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 does take craftsmanship to be able to say something it does. explosive, it, but, it takes but over a period of two hours, you know.
0: It takes craftsmanship, but it also I think at the I think the most thing it takes is courage because the thing yes. is if you're if you're courageous enough like you mentioned earlier to show up the next day whatever that next day looks like if you have the courage to do that. The craft you'll find the craft. You'll find the the tools. Right. You'll you'll figure out your way. Um, but the hardest part is to be courageous enough. I mean and you know, as you can imagine, I mean we also shot that movie in, I mean, I prepped that movie in two weeks. We shot it in, I think, 23 days. We, uh, two weeks. yeah, we had to cast, you know, locally in order to get the tax rebate. And I literally had like a week to cast. I mean, it was, um, you know, locations were falling through constantly. I mean, it was, on, oh, it was my like God. every day was like the end of the world, truly. I mean, that's how it felt like. Mm, but, but, right. so it, you know, at that point, it wasn't my craft that was getting me through it. It was, you yeah, know, A little bit of self-esteem that my mama instilled me with. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, thank God for your mama. Yeah. Because we're all better for it. And, um, you know, the fact that it went from a film to a series, it just allows for this ongoing conversation and like speculation and like honesty, you know, and I feel like this business is very hard. To be honest, mm. and not have some kind of repercussion.
2: Oh, yeah. You know what
1: I mean? I, I do. I do feel like this window has opened. I don't know how long that shit's gonna stay open, right? But because <laughs> of George Floyd's death, people are like, "Oh my God, am I racist?" Like. Call me out. Tell me. Let's correct this. You know, even if it's if it's fleeting, like there's this thing is open. I don't know how much longer it's going to be open, and so it makes me feel
0: it closing shut. It makes me every time I hear it. I feel the door closing shut just a little bit more each day. Yeah,
1: unfortunately. Well, it makes me. It makes me wonder. You know, sometimes I wonder if there is a place. I'm hoping that there is a place for me to continue to be my authentic self as an artist and not just challenge through my work, because that's never going to be enough for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to be able to say this is racist out of my mouth, not just a character, because I feel like we've done that. We 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 we've had to hide behind the character who's on a pedestal because if we set it to a real studio head we may not work again. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I do wonder um, how long that's going to last, this reckoning or this open space where we can say stuff and there not be a repercussion of losing work or, you know, the stain of a bad reputation and stuff like that. I mean, because I don't I don't consider myself, I, I consider myself, my toe is in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm not really in that world. I mean it's probably why I live between New York and Baltimore is like
2: to mm-hmm. to
1: stay grounded. Like I and it's important for me to live, you know, in a predominantly black community, um, because that kind of feeds me and it, it puts a battery in my back, so to speak. Um, so that when I go into Hollywood and I have exchanges like, you know, where I'm holding my award and the guy wants me to write a slave play or slave musical. <laughs> you know, I can I <laughs> you know I like I got pit for you. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I love that award. Now put that aside and let's talk about slavery. Um, <laughs> but but I have to kind of uh I need it. I need to be revitalized so I can go back into this world that only sees me as sees me through this very limited view. You know what I mean? And that uh, you know, George Floyd aside, Rihanna Taylor aside, not that that's even possible to do, but, you know, we've been in that business of having to wear that mask for so long. When I think about being in certain writing rooms and hearing things and, you know, knowing if I say, now you know you done fucked up, you racist piece of shit. Mm. I don't have a job. Right. Even though what this person said is completely racist and completely sexist. Mm -hmm. So we've had to We've had to wear a mask for so long. And so the mask is off, probably temporarily. You know, maybe by next year at this time, everybody's back to normal, you know, because we don't have a pandemic that is forcing us to stay home mm-hmm. and forcing us to see really, really see what's happening. You know, generally some fucked up shit happens. The weekend passes, we're back at work, you know, distracting ourselves. But now, you know, this thing is like, kind of open this wound and I, I wonder I don't know I I'm really curious to know what my career is gonna look like going forward um having called out white gatekeepers mm, you know I don't mm-hmm. I, you know when I meet people they don't think they're the gatekeepers you know they're like oh my god that shit was funny and they pat me on the back but sometimes they are <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying and um but but I I'm hoping that I could uh put less space between when I say it in a film and when I'm saying it right so that I can, I can speak the truth. I mean, it's why I admire folk like you and Ava so much that like y'all do the shit in the work. Y'all do it in your life. You do it on a podcast. Um, Which I, try, I don't you know. I try you know?
0: to, you know, and there's plenty, No, you
1: do it There's plenty of times you do it. I
0: feel like I haven't done enough or I haven't, you know, because the actual work of day-to-day activism is, as you know, it comes with triumphs, it comes with setbacks. It's it's a pendulum. But I do yeah. think what's powerful about your work specifically is that, you know, we make these we're basically making collective dreams. Like that's our job. Mm. We make th- mm. we make dreams that m- millions of people can share. And mm. those dreams absolutely have power if it were not for mm. the uptick of gay and lesbian roles on television and film if it wasn't for will and grace if it wasn't for queer folk etc you know putting white yeah. men you know in very attractive cute white men as you know casting them as gay men as gay culture we wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. marriage equality you know what i'm saying like mm. we need the collective dreams and we need the people you know in the streets making them a reality we need both um, right, and, right. And I you know, I after seeing your your debut film and frankly, you know, it is it was really successful, <laughs> like just in terms of the business, you know, you were the talk of Sundance and that movie sold for a really solid fucking like a great number. Let me tell you, it sold a, for mm-hmm. a lot more than Dear White People sold for. OK, and um, mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to see this movie uh, because everybody has Netflix and everybody needs the black auntie warm hug that this movie is right now i guarantee you that
1: (laughs) you know i'm gonna use that quote that's what the movie is like it's like hanging out it's like hanging
0: out with the black auntie you wish you all you know what i mean it's like it's like hanging out with you and like Mm. and and being walked through this process of like okay i'm in this system of being gatekept of being gatekept and i'm going to use my voice in a way that nobody thinks i'm allowed to uh, to, to, you know, find some freedom for myself. I mean, if that ain't what we're all going through right now, I don't know what it is. <laughs>
1: First of all, I want gate to be <laughs> a black Harlequin <laughs> romance book because I already see the artwork. <laughs> I see a gate, her cleavage, there's lace, there's a man with dreads reaching through to grab her. Yeah. She was inside, but she was out. Ooh, gate kept. Gate That's, kept. Number, one. First That's number one. That's number one. And first and <laughs> number number two. Um, that means a lot coming from you because I know you're a, you're a smartie and you don't fucking play around. Um, you don't mention words. I mean, I really did make it for us. Yeah. I really did. I really just want. I, I wanted it to feel like a hug. I wanted people to feel seen. I wanted people to like. You know, I I'm not a body positive activist. People seem to think that I am because I'm not thin at all and I still decided to make my movie in my body. So people think like, oh, that I'm making a statement when really I just could not fucking lose 30 pounds before we made the movie. So I'm just going to have to be (laughs) what I look like. You know, but people think people, someone came up to me, I won't say who she's notable and she was like, to see you up there, to see you. She might as well said to see your I hate when
0: people do that. And
1: this person, this person really could have eaten a sandwich. Like she was so thin. Wow. She's like to see you up there, and I was like, "What is she talking about?" Like, (laughs) nigga, I still diet. Like I'm dieting all the time, so I'm not that person. But I do. Calling me brave
0: because I like food, right?
1: Because I'm fat. Because I'm fat, and I ain't. I ain't do nothing about it. You know, like You're doing so stuff about Listen, it. Who cares? No, trust me. Shut up. No, no, Justin. No, <laughs> Justin. Trust me. Trust me. A nigga was trying. I was like, okay. Well, if I took this, if I put this fucking plastic suit on and I run ten blocks today, maybe fantastic. you know what I mean, guys. And Ugh. and I'm gonna keep it all the way real with you. Hmm. We had to do pickups. I was like 15 pounds heavier. Yes. So it was like because you you made a
0: movie in white patriarchal America as a black woman. That's why.
1: As a black woman, (laughs) but also like you know, like I'm in I'm in flux. I am in flux. You you motherfuckers
0: should be. Okay. But
1: but but I think you know. Who am I to say what somebody gets from the movie? When I would perform as Rodimus Prime, it was something I was doing to get through the loss of my mother. I just had to do something because I thought I would, I really, I'm not going to lie. Like I contemplated suicide because this person was such a big part of my life. We had the same birthday. She was a cinephile. She gave me that she gave me when I was eight and I read a little story to her. She's like, you're going to be a great writer one day. This was my best friend. So when she, when I, when she passed away, I had already created a web series and created all this music as a companion piece to the web series. I just started going out and performing as is prime because I've I didn't know what else to do. You know what I mean? I had no idea me doing my song, poke chops, which is my fat girl sex anthem. I didn't know the women in their 40s who were not 150 pounds. I didn't know that women would be like, yo, that shit spoke to me. It really was just me trying to G off and and get out of my grief. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's the same thing with the film. It's like, you know, if someone watches this shit and goes, Oh my God, you know, it means a lot to me that this woman who is uh, called plus size, full figure, whatever the fuck you want to call it, that this young man has this affection towards her. Oh, like I needed love. to see that. I needed to see that. Love. I needed to see him pulling her into the cipher, pulling her to the battle, you know, making this investment in this person, because, you know, like, think about it. That scene where he go where she goes to rhyme mm-hmm. before she, before she rhymes, he's not, she's not appealing to him. Mm. He sees beauty from a different side of her, you know? So if someone sees that and it encourages them to, you know, go after someone who, you know, is from a different uh, plane aesthetically or to have an affair with someone young or to have sex in your sixties, who am I to say they shouldn't be inspired by it? You know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you have to let go and relent, and let the film be what it's going to be in the world, but I resisted that. I people were like, girl, we needed a a plus size. I said plus size, bitch, I ain't plus size. You know, like that. I was getting real defensive and shit. Well, that's because it's this thing. Well, that's
0: what I'm uh-huh. saying, that's what I'm saying too. Because Roda, I'm not playing with you. Three years went by. After Sundance, Uh before I walked past a poster of Dear White People and felt anything related to Pride that I had actually Mm.
2: made that movie.
0: And what I I, I have, the lesson that I am continuing to learn is that, like, you didn't just confront the gatekeepers with this film. There is now a hole in the gate that is the size of your movie. And all of the people who connect with you through this movie. And I already know from being on the ground at Sundance that like when this thing drops on Netflix, you are suddenly going to have a million people, um, a million people, millions of people, frankly, um, behind you. And Mm. now there's no that you have a the whole gate ain't down okay but there's a 40 year old version side and and it's fan base size (laughs) hole in that motherfucking gate that you get to walk through anytime you want to because the people who are here for it are here for you they're not here for the system they're not here for the same shit again they're here for Rada blanks narrative and they're here for her voice and they're here for what she has to say and what she has to bring and you and those people have power now
1: Mm, mm.
0: Miss Rada I could talk to you all day ma'am but
1: oh yes this is church
0: we've come to the end sadly of
1: Um, at least
0: this session of us talking publicly um yeah (laughs) i look forward to having many more though personally uh on ringer for the podcast just because i I adore you i adore your spirit Uh, i
1: feel the same we are We're family, you know, like I- I I,
0: I can't tell you honestly, like you don't even know. (laughs) You don't even know, and I haven't even been able to articulate it yet to you like emotionally mm. the place I was when I saw you in Sundance and just being around you and just your, mm. your, you just keep it fucking real. Like you just know that you're with a real person when, a, when I, when I was around you, that lifted me up so much. And,
1: um, oh, and, felt- and the feeling is mutual. I feel like we're kindred spirits and I feel like, I don't know. I feel like in that moment, I could tell you were going through something and it, <laughs> what it felt familiar to me is how, the, 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 that system can beat you down yeah. and make you feel like you can't be real. You can't be honest. You can't be an artist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so game recognized game. You <laughs> <know>? Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel the same way about you and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of your filmmaking community. You I know what I mean? Like,
0: absolutely. Are. I love your work yeah. All right. So we got one last thing. We got don't at me. I'm going to ask you three questions. You can say don't add me to one of them and only one of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, you ready? You want to give it a shot?
1: Yes, let's do it. All
0: right. So who, who's your top five MCs?
1: Ooh. Okay. Um, I'm and not in order. Um, Andre 3000, Scarface, um, Big Ooh. L, Big Rock him and Big Daddy Kane. Oh, okay. um, but I'm also I, I have to add, sorry, because I gotta have my sisters on there. Rhapsody and Chica, who I think are they're, they're just some of the most brilliant writers of our time. Wow, so, yeah.
0: that's that's a very I knew you were gonna give like a, a I'm telling my age. Deep.
2: no, but that's <laughs> the that,
0: that was a great fucking answer. Okay, um, really cool. all right, uh, now top five playwrights.
1: Ooh, okay. Um, oh ooh ooh. Oh uh, shit. Okay. Um, I know I hate
0: this part of every podcast and I'm so sorry I have to put you through it.
1: <laughs> it's okay.
0: I like Keith listening too. Joseph to it.
1: Atkins. Yeah, Keith Joseph Atkins. Okay. Um Um John Patrick Shanley. Okay.
0: Oh shit. Yeah. Kenneth Kenneth again Okay, yeah.
1: Kenneth yes. um, wow. Lynn um. Lynn Nottage. Sorry. All right. Oh, um, uh, would, oh god she just made some the crumbs from the table of joy. Uh, by the way, introduce, a uh, meet there Starks. I mean, she's just an amazing play, right? So, John Patrick Stanley. Okay. Lynn Nottage, Nottage. right? Kenneth Larnigan, Keith Joseph Atkins, and. Tracy Scott Wilson, y'all, Ron right out are here are giving
0: y'all the tea. Notice she did not say <laughs> William Shakespeare or uh, no, you know,
1: no. All these people are still alive. So these are and people yes, you're gonna have to are two go white guys Google. Guys in there. You're
0: gonna have to Google these people, children. But I think you should do so. All right. So final question. Um, going back to Elaine, who is just one of your favorite characters in the film. What of my favorite characters, uh, characters in the film? She does this. Uh, uh, clitoris rap there's no other thing to call it yeah. uh what is, yeah. what is the worst piece you've ever heard in a workshop in your actual life
2: hmm.
0: and you do have a don't at me to use if you would like to use it
1: i know a lot of my former students are listening so i would say don't at me bro. Ah!
0: I love it when someone <laughs> says, do at me. Cool.
1: Don't at me, boo. Rada,
0: this has been sustaining and wonderful and uplifting for mm-hmm. me. I cannot Same wait here. for the listeners to get a taste. And again, if you are listening to this right now, you can literally go to Netflix and get your whole life watching 40-year-old version by Rada Blank. I suggest you do. It comes
1: so. out October 9th. October 9th. October 9th. October 9th,
0: which was in the past. Yes for you oh, at home
2: okay, okay. um <laughs> we're put this um, out with you, you know to
0: promote the movie so it'll be out okay uh, it's time for the kids to watch
1: awesome awesome thanks for having me this was great
0: thank you rada so much thank mm-hmm. you
1: all
0: right that was another wonderful episode of don't at me our producer, thank you so much, Jason Smith, CEO of Starburns. Thank you, Jessica Gutierrez, our audio engineer, also from Starburns, and Judith Carkbow, production coordinator, Starburns. Chris Bowers did the theme song. Dominic German did additional music. This episode was produced by the intrepid Aaliyah Jihad and Brendan Smith. Now I know the show is called Don't At Me, but you can add us, okay? <laughs> at Justin Simeon and at Culture Machine Co. All on Instagram. Lots more uh where this came from. <laughs> Just in the
2: podcast now. Star-based. A podcast <clears throat> a podcast network.